and welcome to another episode of the Water Woman podcast. My name is Jill, and I'm the host and creator of this podcast. In light of what's been going on recently with this pandemic, I decided that it might be a good idea to use this platform to kind of spread awareness and help educate people on coronavirus. So we're taking a little break of the marine focus of this podcast and sitting down with a friend who is doing her PhD in virology right now so she can help explain and help us better understand the coronavirus and what it is. So with that, I'm joined today by Hannah Wallace. Hi, Hannah. Can you tell everyone a little bit about yourself? For sure. So I am a virology PhD student at Memorial University in Dr. Rod Russell's lab. And our lab doesn't actually study coronaviruses, which is the family of viruses that causes um, the COVID-19 that we're seeing as a pandemic right now. Um, but we study viruses that are quite similar. Uh, so I do know quite a bit about, about these viruses. <laughs> So you said coronaviruses. So why are we saying viruses plural? Is there more than one? Yeah. So there like, are what actually, is the coronavirus? Yeah, for sure. So there's actually quite a few coronaviruses. And a lot of people don't know, but the common cold that circulates every year that all kinds of people get is actually also caused by a coronavirus. Um, and there's about four strains that circulate every year, but they don't really get any attention because they kind of just cause the common cold. But then there's also ones that have caused major epidemics and now a pandemic like SARS-CoV, which I guess they'll call SARS-CoV-1 once they rename it, and MERS, <laughs> and then SARS-CoV-2, which is the virus that actually causes uh, COVID-19, which is the disease caused by the virus. Um, but people have been kind of using those two names, either SARS-CoV-2 or COVID-19 interchangeably. So why is this so, like, what is different about this pandemic or like this COVID strain compared to the one that we're seeing with the common cold? Yeah, so the common cold doesn't spread very efficiently and it doesn't cause very severe symptoms. This virus is definitely different than that. It spreads very efficiently. So it's spreading person to person much more efficiently than a lot of viruses that we see. It actually is even spreading more efficiently between people than normal seasonal influenza does. And we, in the virology world, think of that virus as spreading fairly easily. Um, and then the other thing about this is this is a new emerging virus, which means it has just shown up in the human population. So nobody has ever seen this virus before. Um, so nobody has immunity to it, which is another problem and part of the reason why, or likely part of the reason why it was able to spread so quickly. Interesting. So where did it come from and how did it start or develop kind of thing? Like where did this COVID emerge? So it started, the first cases were reported in Wuhan, China. Um, but we don't actually know where it came from. It seems like if you look at the genetic sequence of the virus, it looks to be very similar to some coronaviruses that are found in bats. But we don't actually know exactly where this one started. The outbreak kind of became too big too quickly in order to get it down to one individual case that started. Um, so that may be found out later as we continue kind of 
looking and doing the epidemiology. So finding exactly who infected who, but that will probably Page zero kind of thing. Yes, yeah. exactly. Um, so likely it was a spillover event, which is when a virus or another pathogen finds itself transferring from an animal host to a human host. Um, and that's what we call a spillover. And most emerging viruses are caused by spillover events. And so this one probably is like that as well. So spillover events are something that can be kind of common, like Ebola and rabies kind of thing, right? Yes, absolutely. Yep. Um, rabies is a very well-known example. Um, you know, yes. you're bit by an animal that's infected and then you can get rabies as well. Um, MERS and SARS, the first, were also examples of spillover events. Um, Ebola, like you mentioned, Nipah virus, and even avian influenza, or like some of us would remember the 2009 swine flu, that would also have been a spillover event. Okay, that's so interesting. And what about those viruses? Is it that makes them so easily spreadable? Like, is there anything that's in common with like Corona and Ebola and such that makes it something that transfers very easily? Um, other than the fact that not a whole lot of the human population has immunity or has ever been exposed to them before, there's actually quite a, not a lot that's the same. Um, some of them, it, I guess transmissibility usually has to do with how symptoms present. So in the case of coronaviruses that are respiratory, like COVID-19, um, that generally is spread more easily because you're sneezing or coughing. And so it spreads that way. Whereas Ebola is more spread through uh, bodily fluids. So it's a little bit more difficult to come into contact with it. So it doesn't spread normally as quickly. So COVID is something that spreads quite easily and quickly because it's like a respiratory spread. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So is that the only way that it's spread? Is that the only way you can contact it? It's not. Um, so there is some evidence right now of there being fecal oral transmission. So if someone doesn't wash their hands properly and then touches other surfaces, you can get it. And so that's also pretty common in a lot of viruses that we know of. Um, so that's definitely a consideration and one of the reasons it's so important to be uh, washing your hands. So how else can we slow down this transmission? Like you're saying right now, there's no nothing else we can do other than slow it down. How do we do this? Social distancing <laughs> yes. or physical distancing is the new term, I guess, to make it even clearer to people what they're supposed to be doing. Yeah. Um, so we don't have a vaccine or treatments for this virus because it's so new and those things take quite a while to develop. So we really need to focus now on stopping it by stopping the movement of the virus. So viruses can't live on their own. Um, They need a host. They need human cells or animal cells to live in and survive. So if we as humans stop moving and stop kind of going into contact with other humans, we will stop the spread of this virus. But that's what we have to do. We have to stay home and we have to stop the movement of it. Okay. So just to like, like just by staying home or just by not socially or physically interacting with anyone, you're helping. Yes, absolutely. Yep. What's the major differences between like social distancing, isolation and quarantine and who should be doing what? 
Okay, so all of these policies would have been put out by the government of Canada. Um, So everybody, everyone should be socially distancing or physically distancing as much as possible. So that just means staying home as much as possible, only going out for essentials. So only going out to get groceries or uh, going to the pharmacy to get prescriptions. Those are basically the main things you should be going out to do. Um, Self-isolation would be like when someone is returning to Canada, they are now legally required to self-isolate for 14 days when they get home. Okay. So that means you are absolutely not going out anywhere. Someone else has to do everything for you. You can't stop at the grocery store on your way home or like nowhere. You're not like going you anywhere. You are at home you locked to- in kind of thing. Yes, 100%. Um, and then quarantine is really once you have been tested positive, then you're technically in quarantine. So if you're positive for the coronavirus, then you're in quarantine. You have to stay home as well. Okay. So the difference between like self-isolation and quarantine, like they're both like the same thing in terms of what you're doing, but quarantine would be once you're actually diagnosed. Once you know that you have it and once it's confirmed. Yeah. Whereas, you know, self-isolation, you could stay in your room for 14 days and never have symptoms and that's fine, but you still need to do it. Okay. Okay. Say we're social isolating right now and we think we have symptoms. How do you know if you have COVID and like, how do you go about getting tested if you think you should be or should you be? Yeah. So basically you're going to monitor yourself for symptoms is going to be the first thing. Um, The symptoms of this coronavirus can manifest very differently for different people. So it's some people don't even have any symptoms, um, which is why community spread has been a thing because people don't think that they're sick and they're going out into their communities and they're spreading the virus and they have no idea that they're even sick, Uh, which again is why social distancing for everyone, regardless of how you feel is really important right now. And then, um, so So the first thing you should do if you do have any symptoms, so if you're like coughing, if you have a fever, if you're having, um, there's a little bit of evidence that like loss of smell might be a symptom, but that's not for sure. Um, Yeah, it's kind of a random symptom. And there's like one paper that shows like between 30 and 40% of people that are infected with the virus have a loss of smell. But we don't really know if that's caused by the virus exactly, or if it's just kind of a side effect. Okay. Anyway, possibly. So if you're losing your sense of smell, maybe call. So if you do have symptoms, you should call your health line in the province that you're in. So it's I think it's 811 for yes, New Brunswick. 811 for New Brunswick. Yes. And then there you'll talk to somebody and go over like if you've had if you've traveled, if you have been in contact with anybody that has been diagnosed or whatever. And if they think that you need to be tested, then they'll organize for you to go somewhere to get tested. I think they also um, organized an online thing that you can find somewhere to do that mm-hmm. because they were so backlogged at 811. Yes, a little self-assessment yeah. tool. Okay. Yeah, and there's one for the government of Newfoundland has also come up with one. So there's one in New Brunswick and Newfoundland for sure. Okay. And there you can get like a good idea of whether you should be tested or not. But the biggest thing is don't show up like at a doctor's office or an emergency room or even 
call 911 without at least telling somebody that you're coming or that you have symptoms. Okay. So there's a lot of paramedics actually in Quebec right now who are under quarantine because people called 911 because they were having trouble breathing, um, which is fair, but they didn't say that they had symptoms of coronavirus. So now these paramedics could be infected. And then, so now they can't work, which is just going to backlog the health system even more so during this pandemic. So the biggest thing is to just not go anywhere until you've talked to somebody or at least have disclosed that you're concerned that you might have coronavirus symptoms. Okay. Okay, cool. Good to know. Yeah. So say you do get to the point where you are getting tested, what happens in the testing phase? What do they do to you? Where does it go? And how do you know? Yep. So the testing is... um, a nasal or an oral swab. So they're just going to like swab really far back in your nose or your throat. (laughs) Um, People have joked that it says like, it feels like they're like poking around in your brain because they have to put it so far back actually to get into your sinus cavity. (laughs) Um, So it's not a great time, but it's needs to be done. Exactly. Um, And then it goes to the provincial lab. So every province has a provincial testing lab that would be in charge of analyzing the samples. And there they go through a test called, um, they would do a PCR test. So that looks for the presence of viral RNA. So the genetic material of the virus. Um, And if it's present, then you're positive. So at first, um, because this virus is so new and the provincial labs really weren't equipped for testing, if you got a positive from your provincial lab, you were a presumptive case. Okay. And then it, your sample would be sent to the National Microbiology Lab in Winnipeg for confirmation. And then you would be a confirmed positive. Okay. Now, some of the provincial labs have done enough tests and the National Microbiology Lab has confirmed enough of them that they don't have to go through the confirmation stage at the National Microbiology Lab. Um, so like in Newfoundland, for instance, they don't, the tests don't have to be sent away anymore because there's been a certain number of positive tests identified in this province. So that all the testing can just be done. Here. Okay. So before when we were getting all that news, it's like New Brunswick has uh, 11 positives and eight presumptive cases. That was all technically, like that, that would lead to us thinking that's 19 positives right there because- it they were tested positive here, but they just had to like confirm that with Winnipeg. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. Interesting. Yeah. So now it's just like just keeps the standard um, very set across the country. Okay. But once they have enough positive results, this sounds like so positive that we're talking about. It's like yeah, once we have enough positive results, we can test on our own. Yeah. But it's actually really like, well, yeah. <laughs> is it a good thing? But so now, yeah, exactly. Now that they have enough positive results, they know kind of like for lack of better terms, like what they're looking for, and the tests are more like. I don't want to say accurate, but like we know for sure that they're positive if they're just here. Yeah, it's a verified Verified. test is what you would. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) No problem. No problem. That's what I'm here for. (laughs) So um, you were saying earlier about the vaccination and we don't currently have one. And Mm -hmm. what do you think the timeline or how does that come about happening? Where do you think we're standing with that? (laughs) Um, This is a tricky question. (laughs) So we don't have a a vaccine for any uh, coronaviruses currently, for human coronaviruses anyway. There are some for animal coronaviruses because there are actually lots of coronaviruses that infect dogs and other animals. But for the record, you are not going to get 
COVID-19 from your dog. Nor can you give it to your dog? Yeah, no, they're fine. It's it's too different. Like our species are too different in order to get infected with the other. Perfect. Good to know. Don't worry about that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So the coronavirus that's circulating right now, because it's so novel, we don't have it. Like we've never had a chance or an opportunity. We didn't even know this virus existed in order to develop a vaccine. And seasonal strains of like the cold coronaviruses, they're the, the ones that cause the common cold that circulate every year, have never been serious enough to warrant putting much like funding and effort into developing a vaccine. And vaccines can take a really long time yes. to get ready because they have to go through so much testing. Um, they go Vaccines go through even more testing than drugs do. Oh. Yeah, it actually takes longer to get a vaccine approved than like an antiviral or an antibiotic or okay. anything like that. They're one of the most strictly regulated markets. Which is good to know. Good to it's a, probably a good thing it to is, have yeah, regulated. It, absolutely. You're putting something in your yeah. body that should protect you, so you want that to work. Um and then yeah, so vaccines take can take a really long time. And I just want to point out like a couple of people have said, well, in 2009, when we had the swine flu pandemic, we had a vaccine really quickly. And they're right, yeah. but that's because we already have an influenza vaccine that's rolled out every year. Okay. And so scientists are very used to changing that to adapt to the new seasonal strains of influenza. So for them to adapt this the vaccine to the new Uh, swine flu that showed up wasn't all that difficult. And that vaccine really has already had like approval on a basic level because it goes out every year. Um, So we were able to get that out really quickly. That won't be the case with this virus because we don't already have an established vaccine. Okay. So there, so it's it's basically starting starting from scratch. Right. Okay, good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So the average time that a vaccine takes to get to market is 10.7 years. Oh, good. Which is like, oh, okay, that sucks. Do you think where it is a pandemic, though, they might not like hurry it through, not like push it through like, yeah, it's good enough, it's good enough, but might put more effort into solely focusing on that and getting it out a little bit quicker? Absolutely. Yep. So the federal government has already put money towards that. um, And I know governments around the world have too. And lots of scientific labs have, you know, kind of stopped all of their projects related to other viruses to focus solely on this coronavirus um, research. And so the actually, like, there's quite a good part of this. There's actually a vaccine already in clinical trials for this vaccine, for this virus. So that happened extra quickly. Um, so this vaccine is a little different than a lot of vaccines. It's an RNA based vaccine. So the idea of this is that in your cells, like in everybody's, every single cell in everybody's body, there is a thing called messenger RNA. And that messenger RNA encodes for every single protein that's produced in your body. And so what they did with this vaccine is they made a messenger RNA that encodes for the protein on the outside of the coronavirus. It's called the spike protein. Okay. So in theory, our bodies are likely to be mounting an immune response to that spike protein. Mm -hmm. So then in theory, when you're vaccinated with this 
messenger RNA, your body will make the spike protein, but not the rest of the virus, just that one protein. And ideally, you'll mount an immune response against it. So that spike protein is what's like wrapped around this COVID virus right now. And like the virus is inside that. Yeah, there's little spikes that come off of the viral capsid, oh. and those are the little spike proteins. And that's, um, they actually make the virus look like it has a crown. So that's why it's, they're actually called coronaviruses. Cute. Yeah, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> so once we get this vaccine, it'll just like, it kind of works like any other vaccine where it's like a slight strain of the virus, and that helps our body build up our immune system to it, and then it can better fight off the actual virus. Yeah, except it's even less than that because it's only that one protein. It's not even really the strain, the whole virus or even, no, it's not. Yeah. It's not even, it's just the protein. Uh, Exactly. And that's why it doesn't have to go through as much preliminary testing before they could start clinical trials. A lot of viruses or, or sorry, a lot of vaccines, like even the influenza vaccine, um, the the nasal one that like kids can get in their nose is called a live attenuated vaccine. So it's really the virus, but it has something's been ha- they've done something to it to make it not as infectious or as virulent. Like they've heat killed it, maybe. Okay. So it doesn't really um, infect to the same way that the virus would if it hadn't been heat killed. Uh, and so vaccines that use like whole viruses have to go undergo a lot more testing, but because this one is just the protein, they were able to get it into human trials much quicker. Okay. And what kind of different trials will they have to go through before it can start being like put on shelves kind of thing? Yeah. So there's quite a bit. So the phase one trial is just going to be a small group of people and they'll give this virus, the vaccine, and then they'll really, this first phase is about monitoring Um, if there's any side effects, and if it actually works. So ideally, the people that are vaccinated won't get the coronavirus. Okay. In theory. In theory, yes. You know, which would be a nice idea. Um, And then there will be phase two, which will be a bigger group of people, and there will be more testing done, and they'll want to look at, like, the immune response that people mount um, so that they know if it could be protective And then there's a phase three trial, which is like tens of thousands of people get the vaccine, like huge amounts of people. And they'll, again, they'll make sure that it's effective. And hopefully these people, you know, if it works, then people don't get sick and they'll still monitor everybody for like safety profiles and stuff like that. And then it would be go to like uh, regulatory bodies that could approve it for manufacturing. Okay, cool. And then at that point, it's rolled out and kind of mass produced and yeah okay yep well good to know exactly yeah (laughs) so the process of making a vaccine can be quite complicated uh and we're not like it i struggle kind of with this vaccine that this messenger rna vaccine it's a really exciting idea Mm. And if it works, it's going to be really, really great. But people have been suggesting this for many years, and it's never really shown to be efficient at being protective against a virus. So maybe this will be different and it will work. But our history with this kind of vaccine trials hasn't been super promising. Uh, So we'll see. Well, maybe this will be the one to change it. Hopefully that's what happens. Exactly. Hopefully that's the case. And in the meantime, like I know there's lots of other labs working on other kinds of vaccines and people that are working on antivirals or looking at 
other antiviral drugs or just other drugs that we already have that are approved for like reuse. Okay. So finding a different, repurposing the so, drugs. Yeah, basically. using it for this instead of what it's originally made for. Exactly. So yeah. there's a lot of work being put into this on all sides to hopefully kind of get this oh my yeah, under control. Yep. Yep, for sure. Well, there's definitely a lot of interesting things going around about it. And a lot of that is kind of just some of it is absolutely insane. Like there's one I saw on it's very like Facebook medicine kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I saw one thing on Facebook that's like, if you have Corona, just gargle salt water and you'll be clear. So yeah, (laughs) make sure whatever you're finding, kind of research it and do it a little bit and figure out if it's uh, accurate or not. Yes, please. (laughs) Make sure you're getting your information from a credible source. (laughs) AKA not Facebook. Yeah, I I saw something on Facebook not that long ago that said just drinking warm water would kill the virus. No. If it was inside you. No, that's not how that works, actually. Oh, no. (laughs) Definitely check things out. (laughs) Research them a little bit. At least give it a Google. (laughs) Like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's been really great because a lot of scientific publishing companies, so the ones that publish scientific papers, um, have made everything related to this coronavirus open access. So anybody should be able to go and open, yeah, and actually like look at the papers and you don't even have to have like a subscription. That is awesome. That is super exciting because science should be accessible anyways. But in times like this, it definitely should be accessible so that even just like the general public knows what's going on. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, before we head out, is there anything else that you want people to know about coronavirus or anything of the sort? I mean, I just really, I think what we've basically just been saying about how important it is to make sure you're fact checking um, and really getting your information from good sources. I think that's one of the most important things to be doing at this point. Um Second to you know, if you ever have any questions. Yes, after so yes, social distancing, stay away from everyone <laughs> as much as you can. And also thanks to any essential workers. Yes, absolute big thanks. Have, yes, they are, you know, driving this whole thing, which is awesome. They are really valuable. Super valuable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So thank them and Definitely stay away from everyone and then make sure you're not sharing things on Facebook that aren't true. (laughs) Good advice right there. (laughs) Now, if people have any questions, is it possible that they could reach out to you anywhere? Yes, I would love that. So you can uh, message me on Instagram, which is my Instagram is Hannah Lou Wallace. So Hannah, H-A-N-N-A-H, Lou, L-O-U, Wallace, W-A-L-L-A-C-E. You can definitely message there or you can send me an email at hlwallace at mun.ca. Yeah, I'd just be more than happy to answer any questions. And on my Instagram, you'll also find a couple of highlights where I go through a lot of questions and a lot of um, just information about coronaviruses. Yes, super helpful. Definitely very informative and very digestible for someone who like, I mean, I have a science background, but I'm like microbio and all that kind of stuff. I'm very kind of like, Uh, Okay. So very digestible for someone with even without any scientific knowledge. I tried to think of like my parents, like could I, you know, explain this to my parents when I was doing it? So it should be accessible for, for most people. 
Well, I will share all of your social media when I post this and everything and definitely go check Hannah out and let her know if you have any questions. Thank you so much again, Hannah, for joining me today. Thank you so much, Jill. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Water Women podcast. I truly hope you found this one informative and helped you understand what is going on with COVID-19 a little bit better. That being said, I hope everyone stays safe. Remember to practice social distancing and wash your hands. And if you have any questions about it, please reach out to Hannah. She's very knowledgeable and helps present it in a way that's very digestible for anyone. Next week, we will be back with some more marine-focused podcasts. And until then, stay salty.